This is TDPS. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And welcome to the second half of our true crime pairing and another installment in the true crime movie time <laughs> summer film festival, the name of which I always fuck up every time I try to say it. Yeah. Um, today we are discussing the movie Patriot's Day. From our East Coast carnage Absolutely. Of the, that's part of this, the best one we're doing, different regions of the country. Yes, different regions of the country. Last month, and remember, there's a real month and then there's a TDPS month. <laughs> They're different things. Um, we did California Screaming, and to this this run of episodes is East Coast Carnage. So we're doing, uh, this is the second of two episodes about the Boston Marathon bombing. We watched a TV special on HBO Max about it last week. We're going to compare fact to fiction as we usually do with these sorts of pairings. Had you seen well, that's this? That's the point of the, the, the pairing. Right. Had you seen this movie before? I don't think so. Yeah. I, it was one of those things where I didn't want to, as we talked about some last week, I just, sometimes it's like, okay, I know what happened. I don't want to go over it again. Mm-hmm. I just, like, Schindler's List was an amazing movie. And yeah. I've seen it, and I'm never watching it again because yeah. I got it. Yeah. You know, like, there's sometimes I just don't want to go back down uh, that well. I'm really glad we did. I wouldn't have watched this, I don't think. Um, mm. I'm actually a, a fan of Mark Wahlberg's. I actually really think he's a good actor. And, right. Um, much to my surprise, not something I was expecting, but he actually turned out to be a pretty good actor. And uh, it was a, it was a— a good retelling. Enough time had passed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just about peeling the Band-Aid back again or pulling off the scab. It was about revisiting this horrific event that mm-hmm. we had explored in some detail. I like the pairings for that reason, too, because you look at the facts of it. Mm-hmm. And so you're when when I saw the movie, it was about looking at the facts. Right. How does this compare to the facts of what uh, the case uh, that we presented last week? The most amusing of all was, of course, Mark Wahlberg's character, who was uh, apparently awake for 100 hours. Yeah. um, And the only cop in Boston. Yeah, apparently so. Every single... Right. I mean, he's obviously... He's the diamond necklace. Like, from Titanic, the diamond necklace takes you around the ship. Mark Wahlberg was the fictionalized character who took you to all of the different real characters who were being portrayed. But it became a little amusing as it went along. It's like, okay, he's still not gone home. He's still not gone to bed. It's 100 hours later, and he's no longer in Boston. He's in Watertown. Like... At what point? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, it, it was pretty. And the documentary last week made it pretty clear there were two separate uh, police departments involved in this. Oh, the Boston multiple. PD who were at the marathon itself when the bombs went off, and then the as the killer as the suspects were chased and then later apprehended. It, the, all that happened in Watertown, which was outside of the city of Boston and Cambridge, right? And Cambridge, right? Um, I and had, then throw in SWAT yeah. and the FBI and right. the state troopers and everybody. There was a lot of different forces. So yeah. I had no sense that his character was real or was based on. I, I had no sense that anyone in the documentary last last week was the Mark Wahlberg character no, this week. He was clearly a fictionalized character, right. which was fine as a device, but it became kind of amusing as it got strained as we went along. But the rest of it, I thought they did a pretty good job. Right. Of uh, of capturing uh, this the the story, I, I the it was well cast. They looked at aspects of it that the documentary sort of touched on, mm-hmm. but they went actually I thought into more detail. In mm-hmm. fact, I was inspired. There was enough differences from the 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 piece last week, or stuff that hadn't been gone into in as much depth as last week's. It was called. Marathon. The- Marathon. I'll get that up for you. I'll go back in my notes. It was Marathon, the Patriots Day bombing. And right. this movie is called Patriots Day. Right. Yeah. But that that documentary from HBO did not, it kind of glanced over some of the uh, the details right. of the, the investigation, the crime, and the um, the the the, uh, the the capture of these yeah. guys. And I was interested in the accuracy of the details because like, is this really, because since they hadn't really touched on it, I wanted more, more facts. And I found a a three part, uh, newer, Mm -hmm. uh, documentary that's on uh, Netflix now. Yeah. Um, I want to hear all about that when we get to that, but I know there was a moment that inspired you to go look at that. So I'm going to, before I, I thought in terms of the true crime pairings we've done in terms of focus areas, this was the most, congruence between a documentary and a movie. Absolutely. We talked that we focused on the same survivors, not the Cochrans. They weren't back. They weren't in this documentary, but the married couple Patrick and Jessica, she's a nurse and he's right. a, a student. They're very much in this, played by that actor who I believe was on uh the, the Secretary of State show that you watched with Taya Leone. He's kind of a babe. He also did a movie that I watched a few years ago. I'm going to I will tell you, th- this is getting completely petty for a moment. The IMDb page, uh, you're encountering what I encountered. It is the cast in order of appearance. So usually you get the stars in the first upper grid of the IMDb profile for the movie, and I can screen cap that into our notes. But you have to scroll <laughs> you have to scroll like all the way down to get to John I didn't Goodman. Realize, I didn't realize, I didn't recognize the guy who played Patrick, you're saying. was Yes, he was, um, I think, Teo Leone's son on that show. What God. was that show called? I completely Madam Secretary. Madam Secretary, I that was it. I completely did not recognize him. I yeah. I did not know that that's who that was. I Oh god, now we have to we're in a race to I get his that. name. Uh is, is that hold well, on. I'll tell you what I'm going to do is Madam Secretary. Chris O'Shea. No, that's not him. That's somebody else. IMDb, you have done us wrong. This is an important podcast and we rely on you for split second answers to our questions. Well, Lord, he may yeah, not be. Evan Rowe was the character on. I, I, I can hear I can hear the booth. We're getting a message from the booth about how to properly search IMDb. Brandon, 
our representative from Straight no, America. I, I no, let's should, just do this. Let's go live, Gross babe. and live on the air. We're just going to do well, this. Well, it's not the son from, is that the son from, let's see, did he do <laughs> Patriots Day? I, no, he's too young. Well, this is saying that the role was played by Chris O'Shea played Patrick Downs, and this is not who played that role. This is, oh, wait, no, he's changed his hair. Yeah, this is him. He's completely changed his hair. That's outrageous. Actors should never change their hair. Here he is. I'm showing you a photo. Oh, God, I hate the internet. The older you get, the more you hate the internet. You touch one button and suddenly that's you're wiring Apple. You all your money. Apple. It's not yeah. Apple. Oh, yeah, it's that's, the internet. Oh, yeah. He's, wow. Um, I'm going to be See? making a list of, I'm going to be seeing a lot more of his stuff. Um, See if we, wow. we have to have a bright light when we I talk about I wouldn't have guessed that was him either. That doesn't crime. look like him. Okay, let's get back to the... Let's Meanwhile, get, yeah, yeah, so uh, that stuff that Christopher said about him being on Madam Secretary is a complete lie. No, that's not um, true. He was on Madam... Wasn't he on Madam Secretary? No. He he did this as Christopher O'Shea. Yeah, here he is. He played Jareth Glover on Madam Secretary as Christopher O'Shea. Well, he w- didn't play her son. Okay, well, whoever I Jareth don't know who Jareth Glover is. I have right. no idea, but it's not her son. So it's like, okay, because that's who I was looking at, and... Her son was like in junior high school, so I was like, I don't see how that. <laughs> you could missed be him. the season where they went through the wormhole, and he got he aged dramatically. I don't know. I just I'm really yeah. That that takes yeah, me. Okay, that's for, that's what I get for popping off about casting. I'm not familiar with. Okay, so um, anyway, what we were saying was the focus of the movie and the focus of that documentary were really similar. So similar, it's like Peter Berg watched that documentary and said, okay, here's the target area for my film. I kind of thought that they must have been based on the Mm -hmm. same. I'm guessing they were both based on the the Boston Globe coverage because Mm -hmm. that seemed to be with that reporter doing following the, um, the the Corcoran's and the other reporter doing the... The breakdown of the mm-hmm. um, bios for the uh, Johar brothers. Mm-hmm. No, Johar was his first name, Sarnayev brothers. Um, you know, we got through all last week without ever saying their names. Isn't that that's great? how much we fucking hate them. Yes, Just, absolutely. Um, yes, absolutely. I think you're right. It was the Boston Globe coverage. And it speaks again to the point that you made last week or, or a version of that point, which is that there was so much coverage of all of this. The crime scene was filmed from from the crime was filmed from like a dozen different angles. Oh, they yeah. say in the documentary they got seventy terabytes of digital information about the event itself and the street afterwards and the people running. And that's what ultimately allowed them to to get as uh, get to the killers as fast as they did. I think um, I, I'm trying to think of the right term cinematically for a movie that is this wedded to blow-by-blow events. Like Manhunt movie isn't considered a genre, but it's almost it's document documentary doesn't get at it either. It's it's very much Peter Berg's style, you know. As docudrama. I, docudrama. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is very it is very fact driven. It is very like it. This was more fact driven than the HBO documentary about this. That's what I discovered by going to watch yet another documentary was that the crime, the, the, the aspects of the crime and the investigation that I was unclear on, you know, that I was seeing some disparities between the, the two uh, different programs and in, as we did the pairing, yeah, the accuracy was actually better in the movie, in the Peterberg movie than in the, 
the docu, the documentary that we watched. And I think because his focus was on the hundred hours. Mm-hmm. Like, he really, this movie is just about the 100 hours from the event. A couple of hours before, everybody getting to the event, Mm -hmm. and then a couple of of hours after, everybody, um, you know, wrapping it up. A couple things, just sort of like headlines, I think, of stuff that the movie went into that the documentary did not. That the eight-year-old boy who was killed uh, at the scene of the second bomb, they could not move his body for for a grotesque oh amount of time God. because it was part of the crime scene. And so one of the cops just simply stood vigil over his body. And then when they finally took it away, I know, I'm going to like break I up sobbed. too. I Yeah, totally. Um you know, Jessica and Patrick's journey, uh, their recovery was quite long, and the documentary goes into that. The movie doesn't have time for that because, as you just pointed out— It really out, stays yeah. in that time. Although I will say the movie, spoiler alert, does come back with some real footage of the real people, and we once again see him running in the marathon. Mm-hmm. And interviewed. You yeah. know, they are also—they inter- they end this movie by interviewing real people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the other headline was, I don't think the documentary told us much about the college roommates of the younger Sarnev brother um, who yeah, really bust. just obstructed the investigation. Yeah, they They've went to prison for obstructing Found him. evidence, recognized him on TV, texted him and said, is that you? And he was like, oh, yeah, man. You know, found evidence of bomb-making materials and, and continued to smoke weed and, and play video games. Yeah. Actually disposed of them. Jesus. They had to go to the dump and find the uh, backpack with the bomb making Is materials. this what made you watch the documentary on Netflix? Okay, we're not there yet. Um, Sarnev's wife, the older Sarnev's wife, not in the documentary, very much in the movie. Wow, do I hate her. She converted to Islam and... And the movie's depiction will give up no information, even as there is a collective belief that there are more bombs out there. She should be in prison. Yeah, she should be. Is she not in prison? She is not. Is that what made you go no. and watch? We're not there yet. Okay, we'll get there eventually. <laughs> I like this. It's like a countdown. Guess what sent me to the... I guess what sent Eric to the other uh, source to, material. To do the other source material. But I was starting to get inspired. All of those things were more developed in this particular... That That's what I'm saying. This was yeah. a lot more fact-driven because it really just drilled into those 100 hours. We didn't have, like, there was segments in the documentary we watched last week where um, Jessica and Patrick went to Walter Reed and kind of resided there for a long time because they found that they were the best suited to deal with the sort of catastrophic Mm -hmm. injuries that they were dealing with as though they had been, you know, injured in a war. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and everyone here at TDPS would like to congratulate my co-host and best friend, Christopher Rice, also known as steamy romance author C. Travis Rice, on the publication of Sapphire Storm, the third novel in his Sapphire Cove series. Sapphire Storm is the drama-filled tale of a forbidden romance that exposes old secrets and incurs the wrath of the powerful and the famous. It went on sale March 7th, along with the first two entries in the series, Sapphire Sunset and Sapphire Spring, it's available wherever ebooks are sold. Congratulations, C. Travis Rice, and congratulations, Christopher.
So as you pointed out earlier, the, the movie has a device, and the device is really Mark Wahlberg's character, who we think is kind of an invented police officer. <laughs> yes, and may I just say, could we please stop inventing um, <laughs> hothead police officers? Like, somebody like Mark Wahlberg's character should not be a police officer. Like, people would go, so, uh, is that a new jacket? And you go, what do you mean by that? And like, God. <laughs> Like everything upset him. It was like you really need to calm down, or let uh, drink less caffeine, or maybe not be a police officer. So the story construction, because as you pointed out earlier, they needed to invent a police officer that was going to be in all of these different places that this story actually goes, because it goes far outside the jurisdiction of the Boston PD, way outside. So the story is that he's a Boston police officer who has been who's upper level, but he's been suspended for getting in a physical fight with a vice cop, and his punishment is that he's working the street beat at the finish line at the marathon. So that's how we get him at the start of the marathon. Then they have to put him back in circulation because he's really, a, you know, has the experience and skill of a officer who's been demoted. I thought the best use of him was when they brought him in for the FBI part of it mm-hmm. to walk them through right. which videos that they, because they had found the Sharnayev yeah. uh, video of the white, white hat. hat. Yeah. They found white hat turning and walking away from the explosion. So they'd found him. So they were saying, okay, so which videos from which sources should we look at to trace his um, path? Obviously, no one person did that, but it gave you a sense of how they backtracked Mm -hmm. and brought him back to find Black Hat and began to identify them as... As the suspects. Because they set up a command center in this warehouse, and I was thinking, what did the real warehouse looks like? This looks like an airplane hangar. And as you just described, like, they lay it all out. They lay, they recreate the street on and, the floor of the warehouse. And they literally did that. They yeah. even did that in the first documentary last yeah. week, that taking every—they collected up all of that evidence from that entire block and laid it out almost in—you re- know, I think in scale. Right. Um, in that enormous space right. that they used to— uh, to recreate, much like an airline investigation where they sort of lay out the plane. Right. They find the pieces of the plane and they lay them all out in the configuration of the original plane in a hangar and right. see where in the plane the problems Yeah, were. very much reminded me of TWA-800, those mm-hmm. images of that reconstructed yes, jet. Yes, very much. Um, so the thing that the movie gets into and that, well, it doesn't really get into it, but it includes it, that the documentary did, is that President Obama flew into Boston when there was still a risk of more bombs going off to attend the memorial service yes. for these victims. And and as they come to identify or to get these pictures of the suspects, the debate becomes, do we release them to the public? Um, will it give them the upper hands because they'll know we know who they are, but we don't know their names? Or will we get all this information and Mark Wahlberg, as you pointed out, in hothead way, begins screaming about how Boston will will give you the answer you need if you just let Boston do the work for which, you. Boston strong. Which they, in fact, didn't. Yeah. So... <laughs> So the movie posits, and I don't know if, and I don't think the documentary said this, correct me if I'm wrong, that Fox News had the images and was going to run them. They said, if yeah. you don't, if you don't release them, we will really, you have a certain amount of time, a window of time so to the release them. Compromise, which we see the FBI special agent in charge, played by Kevin Bacon, say is, okay, fuck Fox News, but we will not release them until President Obama is wheels up and out of the right. city. And that's what they said in last week's documentary. But mm-hmm. it, it, they asserted that there was actual, they did not say that it was Fox News. They just said that the decision was made that they would release them after the president was 
no longer there. So they do. And that's how we get into what we were talking about earlier. The f- college friends text the younger Sarnev. They cut, conceal the evidence of his bomb-making materials at his dorm room. It becomes clear, to, in my opinion, they had no plan for leaving town. They didn't seem to have a real clear plan for for, for uh, detonating more bombs. The movie shows them carjacking the uh, Chinese college student that we talked about last week and discussing their plans in front of them in a way that I don't think the documentary last week said they did. The other thing, yeah, it did. It did? Um, okay. Yeah, because he was able to, because they had discussed it in front of him, he was able to tell them that it was right. the uh, that not only that they were the the bombers and the um and that they had just killed the police officer so they incriminated themselves the other thing that the movie does is um it really they go on peter berg goes on the record on his feelings about Catherine sarnayev yes she yeah. was a, a wealthy young woman from rhode island who right married um Tamerland, right, and uh, converted, and was clearly in favor of what they were doing in this particular movie telling of it. Um, she's all in. She says, yeah. "Yeah, the pictures look great." She's there's there's a bit of suspense around it though because they show her fussing at them about buying the wrong milk, and right. she's she's she and you're like, is she in on it? What does she know? And then as they go to leave. That's when she says the line. You really get what a son of a bitch she is. The fact that she's not in prison is really... So she's not in prison? And this is not what caused you to go in one. We're not there yet. We're so close. We're so close. We're so close. But yes, so they were... um, And I have more information from the hijacked victim as well. So yeah, it was really... Yeah, you might want to watch it yet. Um, I may, I may. It, it is it is very informative. But yes, they did confess in front of him. And the movie depicts them as even having done, and I don't know that I've gotten confirmation of this, that Jokar, the younger brother, was actually searching on Google to see how long a drive it would be to New York. Yes. Which is the other thing that the carjack victim yes. was able to tell them that they were they were headed to New York to do more bombing. And he decided to Google directions as they were leaving. It's like it's that level of just that these two malevolent fucks with this lazy a plan could cause this much death, carnage, destruction and chaos is just so emblematic of that age that I don't think it's over yet. But it felt like the that the post 9-11 age where one lunatic could just shut society down. Yeah. You know, 20 year olds with impulse control issues are a real risk to us all at all times. And I think it's something we should all be more aware of. I agree. So apparently Catherine Sarnayev doesn't make any attempt to escape. If she does, it's not depicted in the movie. After the, um, I'm just going to make you start talking about like after that. Well, you're actually skipping past the inspiration. We'll take us back then. After the, um, the, the Watertown event, mm-hmm. when they identify him, when they fingerprint um, uh, Tamerlan, the older brother, after he's dead right. or while he's dying, they they actually fingerprint him while he's on the, um, on the operating table or the gurney at the hospital in the movie. I don't know if that happened, but they got his fingerprints right. and they were able to identify who he was. They went to his house mm-hmm. and she was there. Uh, and they brought her in, but she didn't know that they had identified him I see. until they got her, or that he was even dead. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. And that scene where they brought in the woman to... So that's the scene. Okay, they bring in these special investigators. They don't identify themselves to the FBI or the local law enforcement. One of them is played by Candy Alexander, who's a fantastic who actress. spectacular in this This part. is now a Candy Alexander podcast. Okay, but all of this is jumping past <laughs> okay, the thing that Okay, then you're just going to have to go there because I'm confused. Okay, so they, 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 the hijacker, get the carjack yes. victim gets away and he sends Mark Wahlberg to go get those motherfuckers mm -hmm. um, because Mark Wahlberg has decided to do some freelance investigating. <laughs> He's moving jurisdictions He's now. He's roaming from jurisdiction to jurisdiction yeah. to see if he can't catch these guys because... He's only been up for 87 hours now, right. and he's, he's got a little more gas left in the tank, mm -hmm. and he just wants to give it 100% because he really wants to get reinstated for his anger issues um, back into the police force. So the things unfold very much as they did in the, the original documentary that we watched, but the original documentary kind of brushed past the... Um, they pursued the car, thinking that it was the carjacker, mm -hmm. and that's when they captured him, and that's when he ran over his brother. The movie version is like a fire, a nighttime firefight yes. in Beirut or some right. war-torn capital somewhere around the world, mm -hmm. somewhere in Sudan. Yeah. Um, it was. I was blown. I was like. Oh my God! The mm -hmm. the previous uh, the documentary was like, and then they you know this happened and he got away and they had to search the they did not go into depth and I was like, did this really happen? Mm -hmm. Was th was it this level? I mean, they were throwing pipe bombs, pipe bombs yeah, blowing up police cars and right. they had another um, pressure cooker bomb that they set off that, mm -hmm. but because they threw it, it went up and didn't do the kinds of damage that it did in the, but it was clear that it was another thing that made it clear that they were the bombers. Right. They were shooting and it was really, it was, it was quite the scene. I was like, Jesus Christ, is this just the movie version of this scene or did this really happen? It was actually worse. Really? Oh my God! Really? Like, there was the in the the documentary that I watched. There was actually controversy apparently after the fact about the level of response from the police because they were just on a neighborhood street. They showed bullet hole over baby's bed and oh. like the the amount of firepower that was going both directions. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was really astonishing to me is the 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 sergeant from the Watertown police mm -hmm. who the J.K. Simmons character. I in, gotta quit in the smoking. Movie. Yeah. yeah. The 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 real guy who mm -hmm. was interviewed said that he shot Tamerlan maybe five or six times and he did not go down. Like, ta he tackled him running. So, the implication would be... Juiced, I yes, guess. I yes. don't know. And but, like, he yeah. was just... He would not go down. Even though... Because he did outflank them. He came up from the mm -hmm. side while they were shooting from behind the car and shot him any number. He said, I'm really a good shot. I... You know, he said, I shot him. I was sure I hit him, and I just kept shooting him. He said there was a point at which we were about six feet away from each other shooting, and he did not go down. Jesus. And 
He and and then gave chase, took off running down the street, and he pursued him, him and tackled him on the street, mm-hmm. and he was fighting him off. The other officers joined in to try and handcuff him because right. he was so strong, um, and uh, and handcuffed him to. Yeah, it was it mm-hmm. was I was like. Jesus, because in the movie, he shoots him in the leg and he goes down, and that's not what happened. Yeah. Um, wow. The um, the amount of firepower and the amount of the firefight was was unbelievable, and it was the thing, one of my favorite moments from the Netflix documentary was one of the first, if not the first, patrol officer on the scene who began engaging with them and then was, like, dealing with what the fuck do we have here? Because mm-hmm. he literally said, I thought it was going to be a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. I thought they were either going to run and we were going to have to chase them or they would, um, you know, get out and surrender and lay down on the pavement and we would take them in. Like, he did not expect anything that he got. There were only two officers on the scene to begin with when the right. when it began, who they'd kind of boxed them in on, the, on this residential street. They began responding at this level of like warfare. And he said afterwards, they were saying, um, do you know who you guys got? And he was like, well, it was the carjackers. Right. <laughs> and they were like, no, it's the, the Boston Marathon bombers. And he was like, get out of here. Wow. And they, he said, he said, you know, the enormous amount of firepower, the enormous amount of right. ammunition, the bombs. He said, Maybe I should have put this together sooner, he said. But then I'm not a detective. I'm a patrol officer. He laughed at himself about it. Right. But he also said, as as part of the interview, PTSD is a real thing. Because Mm. none of these officers, none of the people from Watertown were, like, from the front lines. These were from a quiet, sleepy, very safe community in no way prepared for this level of response from these lunatics. So... While there was apparently some controversy about the amount of firepower used, there was not um, really mm-hmm. – it, it was like – it was forgivable at, at the level of – these were not people who were prepared for right. the response that they got. Right. It, this was still on the, the fucking bombers. Right. Yeah. Who were uh, very much responsible for – the other thing that the documentary made very clear was Tamerland was not radicalized. Mm-hmm. Like he – he went back to uh, Dagestan. He was uh, his his family had come here and grown up here. He, they'd very much grown up here. In fact, people said of the younger brother, he one of the the other, uh, uh, a Muslim friend of his actually said he when he saw the younger brother at the mosque, he was like, what are you doing here? He said, I thought he was like some white kid from Boston. He Mm -hmm. said, I had no idea. These kids actually really got a pretty great life Mm -hmm. in this country. But what happened was, what happened was, Mm -hmm. um, Tamerlan's father was very much keen on him pursuing his boxing because he was a really good boxer. Mm -hmm. Um, He, um, he had gotten to a place of really, um, very high regard and really winning his matches and had set his sights on the Olympics and then they changed the rules.
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So the movie left you with so many questions, and the the HBO Max documentary movie left you with so much with so many questions. You went on Netflix and watched American Manhunt, I believe it's called, the Boston Marathon bombing or something like that. It's American Manhunt. Yes, it's American okay. Manhunt, the Boston. Very Manhunt. recent, and you're giving us the four one one on that. Okay, so you were talking about the alleged radicalization or lack thereof yeah, of the older which Snarnet did not brother. happen. So what did happen? He um. He was he was he thought he was headed for he was training and thought he was heading for um, the Olympics, mm-hmm. which was very much his father's goal for him and very much where he wanted to go. And because his family had escaped as refugees from um, Chechnya, mm-hmm. they'd actually been gone to Dagestan to escape the persecution, the Russian persecution in Chechnya, and they had they had come here. They had been given refuge by the United States and. Apparently had a pretty good life, mm. um, schooling and this opportunity, mm-hmm. and um, but at the the time of the, I think I, I'm not sure which Olympics it would have been, but the ones he would have been eligible for, mm-hmm. um, they made they changed the rules, and I guess it's probably more the Olympics committee than the United States, but that you had to be a citizen of the country that you were representing. Mm. And because he wasn't actually a citizen of this country, he was a refugee, he was a citizen of Chechnya, he was not able to Mm. go to the Olympic trials. So he decided at that point that it was because he was a Muslim, Mm. even though that was not the rule, Mm -hmm. and the rule hadn't come from the United States, and that he was being prevented from doing this because he was a Muslim. Right. So if there was radicalization, it probably came from his father's anger or his own anger about that and attributing that belief Mm. um, to the, um, to his, the reason that, and his, his trainer actually said, well, that's a bad break for you, but you're really good. You should just go professional. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, Mm. Rather than pursue his own career, which he was more than qualified to do and might have been very successful at, he said no, Mm -hmm. that he didn't want to do that because he was a Muslim and they wouldn't give him a second break. It was all the rich Jews and whatever. In fact, they 
the the documentary goes on to link him to the murder of his own friend. There was a there was a murder, Whoa. the Waltham murders that are still unsolved. Three young men in Boston were murdered in the house of Tamerlan's friend. Oh my God! Um, and when his trainer said to him. The day after the event, after the bodies were found, he said, really sorry to hear about your friend. He says, that's what happens when you do terrible things. <gasps> oh, my God. And the trainer said, my God, I didn't quite know how to react to that. Whoa. Yeah. The younger brother, hugely popular, huge success. Everybody loved him, um, was a wrestling, loved wrestling, had become kind. A lot of it was smoke and mirrors. He Got the reputation he was doing better in school than he actually right. was. But he had set up a really successful drug dealing operation in school. So he was very popular yeah. and very well liked and everybody loved him. The other kids that, you know, knew him were loved him. There was they interviewed a, a Muslim friend that he had made in, right. in college and you know, he was he said, I literally could not wrap my head even when they told me it was him, he said he just couldn't believe it. He mm -hmm. said there was nothing about him. His professors said they couldn't get him interested in political mm -hmm. conversations about anything. He just wasn't interested in that. He had no political or religious ideology. He was not a particularly religious person. None of that was part of his story. He was right. he was just simply involved in. They had bought in, and the movie brings this point up, they had bought into a lot of the, the bullshit conspiracy theory. Right, the that's what danger, I was going to say, yeah. The danger of those bullshit conspiracy theories right. really got brought out, in, I thought, well, in the movies. Because... They came to believe that 9-11 was actually a government right. false yeah. flag operation. They say that in the car in front of the, the carjacking victim. They say, no, you don't really. They make, they put him on the spot. Do you believe 9-11 was, was the work of Muslims? And he's, he sweats, and am I going to answer honestly? And they say, are you just saying that? He says, no, 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 I think it was. And then they say to him, uh, the U.S. government did that to make everybody hate Muslims. Yeah. Which is, you know. Which is part and parcel of them piggybacking on that that conspiracy theory-driven belief that somehow yeah. we blew up the, the Twin Towers for, mm. I don't know, I George Bush blew up the Twin Towers to, don't I don't know what, because about. he wanted to. It just becomes the crystal spheres, as you point, those conspiracy theories. Insurance money, I've heard global domination justification for those wars i just think it's all it like i always say about a conspiracy theory it is ir ironically comforting even when it's when it imbues in, in evil intent with people because it depicts a world that is more organized than it actually is actually yeah, yeah. i mean i just think that it was um I think it did have that effect, mm -hmm. which I think was maybe not the the perpetrator's original intent. Um, but I don't know because, as you say, it it is a part of the sort of chaotic, ongoing, disorganized evolution of the world right. that surrounds us all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know that the motives of the actual people who flew the planes into the Twin Towers were as well thought out as they might have been. I think if they'd really thought it through, they might have seen the kind of hardship they were going to bring on their own culture mm -hmm. as a result of a kind of pointless exercise that was really just brutal and um, and not very productive. Right. So by the time you were done, this was a three-episode series, right? The Netflix one that you watched that was three episodes total? Yes. Did you feel like the movie Patriots Day, the Peter Berg film, had gotten stuff really wrong or? I, 
it substantiated my belief that, as I stated earlier, that the the Peter Berg film actually did a better job of the facts than the HBO documentary yes. that we covered last week. The HBO documentary did fine, but Peter Berg really dug into just those right. hundred hours. So there was some kind of wrap up. And as you said, they did actual interviews with people and there was font on the screen at the and, end to explain stuff. But yeah. he really just focused on the time of the investigation and he got it right. In light of what you're saying, though, I would fault the documentary more because the documentary really does say they were radicalized and it cites an Islam, a, a, a radical ma- magazine on the internet. And it really, really glances over that. And, and I think things, you've uncovered some real stuff those here. Things are true. Yeah. Those things are true. They really did believe that. Yeah. Like, but the thing that, that the, the Netflix documentary posits, they actually, because after turning down the opportunity to go pro as and before murdering his friend, mm-hmm. um, Tamerland actually went to, back to Dagestan, which is where they thought he was um, radicalized. And they showed him, they had videos of him on the beach with his friends, burying each other in the sand. And, mm-hmm. like, there's no evidence of gun training or any of the rest of it, you know, as evidenced by the fact that he could stand six feet away from a police officer firing a gun at him and not hit him at all. Yeah, right. Um, because he wasn't skilled at doing any of those things. They did, in fact, go how to make a bomb in, your, in the kitchen of your mom from Inspire magazine, another... Um, in product Jesus of a, an American homegrown mm-hmm. um, spoiled kid who yeah. decided that, I don't know, that the government should be punished because he didn't get as many girlfriends as he thought he should have or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But they did use the guide right. for building. But but as I think they pointed out in the movie, the and you mentioned last week the the injuries were not there were fewer fatalities mm-hmm. because of where they placed they actually put the bombs in the wrong place yeah they do a scene of the brothers on the watching tv afterwards and the younger brother says we should have put the bombs higher up which is just oh, jesus christ you yeah. know the moment from that first documentary the one that was the most uh solidifying let's yes. say for me was after being arrested and put in the cell, the younger brother getting up to the camera in the cell mm-hmm. to flip the bird at yeah. the, like, that's the picture. Yeah, exactly. That's like, yeah, I'm sorry. No yeah. sympathy for you. Your right. parents were terrible. No, they weren't. Maybe they were. That's what they really say in the first documentary that I think you've really explored and fleshed out as maybe a little glib, which is they came from a crazy family. And that's it. And you see a picture no. of the woman freaking out at a press conference, the mother. and a, their, yeah. their parents divorced. Yeah. And they left the country at different times. Mm-hmm. So they weren't abandoned in the way that they were depicted. And they weren't like his father was demanding and whatever, but. So that's still not a good enough reason for, and they weren't radical people. They actually came here escaping persecution in their own country and were given a life. They didn't get the dream that they'd seen in a Hollywood movie, but neither did I. Yeah. Um, You know, did you? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure who got that because it was a Hollywood movie, but but they were, they actually had pretty good lives. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, 
it reminded me so much. I don't I don't know if nostalgic is the right word, but it, but it does feel like this was part of an era that came to an end with the disaster of Donald Trump and then the COVID pandemic where these attacks would happen and then we would be interrogating the political motives of the attackers because there was so much conversation after 9-11 about, okay, is this blowback for CIA intervention and others, our original sin in the Middle East, the fact that we overthrew the democratic elections in Iran. There was all, and, and a lot of the conversation was necessary and it was about getting people a better understanding of history and a better understanding of what we had done that was bad in the Middle East. But when two fuckwits like this would come along and we would have to talk, we would have to parse the details of their radicalization as if America had some political responsibility for this hideous malevolent attack at a marathon finish line it was exhausting and i think people just got sick of it and stopped doing it is really what happened well, liberal I'm, conservative i'm alike. not sure that it panned out yeah you know like osama bin laden was a multi-millionaire yeah like he was a very wealthy successful man from a very powerful wealthy yes. family like i i just think it doesn't really match up with the reality of what of what was being presented. It, mm -hmm. it, I, I think it's a very convenient kind of um, shorthand for what's happened, but it, it oftentimes I think maybe is maybe more like satanic panic. Yes. It's just popular right now to say that that was the case. Right. And I think radicalization does happen. And I think that people do like Catherine, who is now married and living with her daughter in New Jersey. Are you kidding? Catherine Sonayev is, yeah, she's fine. She's actually still doing great. Um, but Sorry, I, I think to... that's somebody, I think that kind of radicalization yes. of uh, weak-minded simpletons like mm -hmm. that who want to blame some force outside themselves. It's the thing we've talked about before, that sense of alienation. Mm -hmm. It's the thing I saw in the younger um, Sarnayev brother, that sense of alienization from not realizing you're part of the whole. Right. It, it happens on the right in in our own country, in the extreme right, that, that sense that the government is somehow separate from you mm -hmm. and not actually you. Right. Absolutely. Is, is that's a weak minded notion. Mm -hmm. Like that is that shows a lack of understanding of the way things are actually unfolding. Right. Believing that the government is this force outside of yourself that's coming for you rather than something that you're actually a part of and you can, you know, participate in and maybe actually work As to make changes. You in. once said to me, and I didn't want to hear it at the time, if you are in the traffic jam, you are part of the traffic jam. The traffic jam is not happening to you. You are the traffic as well. Right. <laughs> And that's kind of that sort right. of people looking for that kind of like, I didn't get a fair break or I mean, that incel kind of yeah. notion of like, well, maybe you should, you know, cut your hair and get a job and mm -hmm. go to the gym and be more appealing to If young that's women. what you're going to make the most important thing right. in your life. Then you should actually make an effort at it I, rather there's than there's always the There's always the option to value something else to say getting late isn't the most important thing. And if I go without it, it's fine. And I'm going to look at what type of person I am and how I'm treating other people. That's correct. Or you could go the spoiled child route and throw a fucking tantrum that leads you to murder people. Right. Because that fixes everything. But yeah. it leads you to that kind of fucked up thinking where you're somehow this victim-driven life, this mm -hmm. victim-driven thinking about, like, I think bad things happen to people all the time, and I think injustices happen, and I don't think that that, that everybody gets everything right all the time. I, I don't think the government gets everything right all the time, but there isn't a malevolent force driving it. It's just human failure and stupidity and 
prejudice and ignorance and all of the things that drive every aspect of life. And the joy to me of the government is that there is an opportunity to change that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to blow the whole system up to fix it. You can actually work to change it. We're doing better as we go along. Are we done? I'm a gay man living in America. Believe me, we're not done. Mm -hmm. Like we just recently were getting pride events are being apparently uh, cast by the Catholic church Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Now they've um, outlawed their, for some reason, the L.A. Dodgers Pride Night decided they needed to ask the Catholics mm-hmm. who should be a, the, this homophobic, bigoted group who have raised money to ruin our lives. They asked them mm-hmm. who should be allowed to come to Pride Night at the Dodgers. And then they threw out participants. Right. From the community because Catholics were offended. I'm sorry. Were they planning to come to Pride Night? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous, but it's that sort of insane kind of thinking. Yes, absolutely. But I think the thing that we arrive at again and again with this topic, and I think you hit on it when we first started this pairing, but the the measure of who you are as an adult, the measure of your character is in how you respond to disappointment and failure and what you tell yourself those disappointments and failures mean. And if you tell yourself a false narrative, you can end up a very dangerous and destructive person. If you t- if you give yourself the narrative you've just described, you can become a killer. But uh, convert not congruently, if you give yourself a narrative that's about you're a piece of shit and it was all your fault and you're not deserving, that can be self-destructive, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. There's no point in trying. There's no point in continuing to show up for my dreams. There's I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough, you know. You ha- this is all about dealing with, as you described, the randomness and chaotic nature of life. The reality of the life that's actually yeah. happening to you, as right. opposed to the one you think you're entitled to. Exactly. And I think that that a lot of that sense of entitlement comes from great privilege. I think these young men were mm-hmm. actually very privileged young men, and they believed they were entitled to stuff that they didn't want to have to work for. Right, yeah. And as a result, they thought they were somehow being persecuted— even though they had been given refuge and education and opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, And rather than pursuing, let's say, a professional boxing career that he was qualified to pursue, he decided to blow up a bunch of children um, and innocent bystanders at at an athletic event. I think the athletic event was chosen partly because of it was an athletic event. Yeah, right. Yeah. He wanted to besmirch it. So... So this concludes our pairing about the Boston Marathon bombings. Next week, we're starting a new pairing. It is about the Son of Sam killings in New York City in the late 70s. The continuation of East Coast Carnage as mm-hmm. we pursue our true crime movie time movie, summer film Summer festival. movie, summer film. Right, exactly. Uh It'll be a True Crime TV club next week, World's Most Evil Killers. The episode is called David Berkowitz, so spoiler alert, he is the son of Sam killer. <laughs> Season four, episode four. Uh, we will then follow that up the following week with a screening, a presentation, a discussion of the Spike Lee film Summer of Sam, which is a 1999 movie that was made about the 1977 
killings in New York City. So again, standard disclaimer, you do not have to watch any of these things to enjoy our podcast because we serve it up in such steaming detail and with such rich, sophisticated opinions that you will feel like you have watched or, it. congruently, if you would like a, con- uh, a concept of what we're talking about, <laughs> you can watch these movies and judge for yourself if we Absolutely. know. <laughs> Absolutely. So until next time and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.